Hello everyone. I'm here with my good friend Steve. My name is Roger. Hello. And uh, we've got this project we've decided to have a go at. And it's, um, it's trying to document the journey of deconstruction in our lives. Yeah, so I've been chatting quite a bit with Steve lately and he's been quite curious about my uh, deconstruction journey. Um, yeah, so we've known each other for three, four years, maybe? Yes. Roughly? We, we met each other at uh, church, and uh, a church that we don't go to any longer. But um, that's, that's, part of the, that's part of the journey, and uh, we've had some really fun times together. Uh, but we've all, but I've, we've also realised that it's time to been time to move on. So we've we've had long talks, haven't we, over a beer or two? Yeah, and some whiskey. And some whiskey, yeah. And it's been it's been really good, actually. Um, I think we're probably both at different stages of deconstructing of, of deconstructing yeah. fundamentalist. Christianity, I think, can safely safely say, yeah, um, to a more, uh, I don't know, a more uh, grace orientated, a more uh, whole, maybe another another idea of what the gospel means, type of Christianity. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, and I think also a more humble approach to <laughs> to the Bible and to faith. Yes. Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah, basically the, the the idea that the that the Bible is the iner- inerrant word of God um, and totally inspired every single every single word totally inspired by God. That's that's kind of where we've deconstructed what we've deconstructed. Yeah, and also the interpretation of everything that follows that, the reinterpretation of everything once you. Once you remove that as your your grant, your initial assumption, then you have to have a good look at everything else that you believe. And for me, it's also been the reason I said it was a, more of a humble approach is because it's much more of a, an attitude that there's many many different ways of interpreting the Bible, and none of them are necessarily absolutely hundred percent correct. Which is how I was raised that this is what we believe, and mm. everybody else who thinks anything else is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so basically, I think both of us come from a kind of Christianity, which has which has basically said that there's only one way to interpret the Bible. Mm. There can be differences. There can be differences and small differences in theology, but basically saying you know there's only one really one way to uh, to understand things. And if you don't, uh, if you don't fall in line with that way of understanding, or if you ask too many questions, or if you ask the wrong questions, then um, then you're going to be considered like as not really part of the part of the church or part of the body. Yeah, you're going to lose your faith and end up in hell. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. As yeah. in, for for me, it was even even questioning anything about the Bible was a sacrilege. It was it's so holy that even mm. to have to want to um, to be curious about something you're not sure about means that you're lacking faith. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, what sort of triggered this whole reinterpretation, a large part of it was, was seeing 
you kind of move into a different interpretation because I had uh, pretty much from, from when I first knew you, I had a lot of respect for your, your views on theology and your mm. we did some Bible studies together. And, yeah. And so do you, do you want to start with what, what triggered it for you? Because I think for me, it wasn't, it wasn't only you. I also saw a lot of, um, a lot of other people online and a lot of really good mm. podcasts and, and, and things about people who seem to have this real passion for God, but with completely different belief about the Bible. Yeah. For me, they didn't believe the Bible was inerrant and perfect. Mm. Yeah. And so seeing that in other people and then also seeing it in you kind of triggered triggered me to start being a bit more open-minded. But what what started it for you? Yeah, I think what started it for me was it's probably like going back. If we go back maybe four years, I think. Uh, so what do we know? We're in 2022, so it's probably around around the year 18, um, where I think like different people turned up at church, who basically challenged my challenged my interpretation of scripture, or maybe challenged my interpretation of how I saw salvation and how I saw Christianity. Um, so I. Th- I think it there was like a few people that weren't that came along that uh, in you know air quotes were not were non Christians um, and uh, I remember I remember one person especially who uh, came along and his girlfriend was a Christian and she was like desperate for him to be saved so um, so we like befriended them and, and like it, it was like our goal to not really get this guy saved but to you know to befriend him and and to try and convince him that um that you know christianity was the right way uh, i think he had maybe had some kind of conversion experience or something but he had a lot of questions he had like tons and tons of questions and questions about you know why why do christians hate the gays and um, why do Christians uh, believe that only is you know that there's a certain way to be saved, a certain prayer to pray to be saved, and so that uh, basically means that you know most most people who don't believe in Christianity or maybe are from another religion, um, Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu, or don't have or atheist, that uh, that they will all go to hell. So, you know, I kind of, uh, before all this happens, like you kind of compartmentalize things and kind of, you kind of try and, you know, try and force a, a theological understanding that makes sense um, for all this to happen. And I think before, um, but I would, I, I would actually say that I probably never really believed that theology that said that only people that have prayed the prayer have repented of their sins and have, you know prayed this specific prayer which I think it's in the book of Romans actually um, which is I don't think that's what it's saying <laughs> but, but um, uh, that you have to you know believe in your heart and, and uh, say certain words in order to be saved and I started to question that think um started to question the fact that if if god really is the loving god that everyone 
that Christians declare that he, he is, then uh, it would be a spectacular fail project if, say, 80% of people didn't uh, make it to heaven or paradise or whatever, whatever is out there. So that kind of uh, started me on a, you know, a questioning, a line of questioning that I don't think was very, uh, that I think that Christian leaders liked. <laughs> so when, when did you first turn when you had these, when you wanted to start questioning, where did you look for answers? Yeah, I think, actually, I think I looked like mostly online because there wasn't, I didn't really you know this, the whole kind of deconstruction thing is very, very new in, in Europe, uh, like Northern Europe where we live, you know, we're yeah. in Denmark. So it's really not, there are not many people out there. I've met like a couple, but there's not really many people out there that are questioning traditional or traditional conservative or evangelicalism. There's not a lot of people that are questioning, uh, questioning it. Um, so I think I turned like online and, you know, tried to find answers. I remember once, um, listening to a podcast by a, a guy called Brian Sand, um, pastor called Brian Sand, who actually, he kind of like deconstructed his version of faith, um, you know, many, many years ago, I think it's over 20 years ago, uh, where he saw, um, how politics and Christianity in America, I know it's not the same in Europe, but mm. how politics and Christianity in America had like grown more and more together. And it was a case of, you know, if you were, if you were a Christian, you had to be a Republican and mm. you had to believe certain things. And that version, he kind of realized that version of Jesus, like the gun loving, um, <laughs> violence loving Jesus, he kind of came to a conclusion that that was not the Jesus of the Bible, mm. the Jesus of Scripture. Um, so that kind of like that kind of challenged me a bit. And then he started talking about that he didn't believe in like a literal hell. Uh, he talked about it like being more metaphor and stuff like that. And he talked about the different Greek words for for hell and what Jesus was actually trying to say. And that kind of blew my mind at that moment. And I was like, I suddenly got scared. It was like, okay. Mm. Um, because like my theology was being like shaken uh, to its core. And like, I almost had, I had to like stop the podcast for a minute mm. and just like sit down and think, okay, is this guy a heretic? <laughs> yeah. That's one thing I realized pretty early on as well, is that I was raised to not even want to listen to these views. Mm. Because even listening to them, that, you know, that would pollute my mind and it would uh, lead me astray. And yeah. the weird thing is, is and being, especially being an engineer and, and gone through you know, all the school and university of a fairly well-developed Western education system, I was taught to question things and I was taught mm. to question. And I did that in every other aspect of my life. But somehow, mm. when it came to my faith in the Bible, I would just accept whatever I was brainwashed to believe when I was a child and mm. and whenever there's a question and that's too difficult to answer it's kind of you know they have this way of skipping over it or, yeah. or you know giving a, a glib answer that doesn't really make a lot of it doesn't explain it it's, it's just encouraging you not to ask that question anymore 
Yeah, and, exactly. And a lot of the questions as an atheist ask a lot, isn't it? You know, how can a loving God sentence someone to an eternity mm. of suffering? And you know, the old answer I was um, sticking to was, oh, he's too. It's because he's a just God, and he's too just to allow, mm. you know, there not to be punishment for sins. And I mean, even though I haven't come that far now through my deconstruction even that now just seems so weird to me like how would i just accept that and not mm. question it when everything else i even everything i learned in university i would have to question and go figure out for myself whether it was true mm. or not mm. um, and that was how i was you know educated i was educated to to question things and to find out things for myself and draw my own conclusions and yet i just never did that with my mm. with my faith um, yeah so how did you like compartmentalize that? So how did you like you know if you if you think of it like as you have a box for this and a box for philosophy and a box for science and a box for religion? How 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 do you how did you like kind of um, how did you how did you find a way to live with that in religion and apart from like the other the other disciplines? Um, I think a part of it was that I didn't even realize I was doing that because mm. I accepted that there were some absolute truths mm. and that those were my initial assumptions. So anything anything I, I learn, whether it's science or whether it's in, in, uh, anything I learn in church, it, it, it comes back to these fundamental universal truths of you know, God being an omniscient, omnipotent being and you know, everything in the Bible being literal mm. uh, truth and historical historically accurate mm. um, so I, I think I didn't even realize that I wasn't as in there, there were some things I was curious about as in throughout my life I've had different views on on creation and there was a time where I thought okay maybe the genesis was mm. metaphor and we actually evolved but then mm. I kind of came back well it says very specifically one day you know the sun set and the sun rose and that so then I started finding sort of scientific um explanations for that that fit my assumption and fit my view and there's mm. a lot of um, you know apologetics and a lot of um, creationist scientists that mm. uh, honestly uh, to be honest I still think some of their reasoning is is sound and I'm I think where I am now is more that I don't necessarily I, I don't believe that Genesis is historically accurate but I don't necessarily believe that um, it isn't and I don't believe that it's, I, mean, I certainly don't believe it's essential to your faith to believe one, one way or the other. Um, yeah, but, but previously I, I thought it was fundamentally that the Bible had to be perfect and true, otherwise it was worthless. Mm. So when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it took seven days, I had to believe that, otherwise yeah. I couldn't believe anything in the Bible. In, yeah, that's right. And you had to believe that the earth was 6,000 years old, otherwise you were, you were also a heretic. Yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of ways around that, even to a curious and scientific mind. Mm. Like if you have a God that's omnipotent, he can, and I'm just saying, he can create mm. something that's old. Yeah. Um, I always used to come back to the, the argument of you know, when Jesus turned water into wine, 10 minutes after he did that, how old was the wine? Mm. You, know, you can say it was 10 minutes old, but then 
wine that's 10 minutes old is grape juice. So mm-hmm. every, everything that you looked at and, and from your, your, what you knew in your scientific mind, would, you would have known that that wine took probably several years to make, to grow mm-hmm. the vines and grow the grapes and uh, ferment the juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it was new. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, there were lots of little things like that where, that put me in a comfortable enough place that I could just continue on without really thinking too much yeah. more about it and um, I think one of the biggest surprises for me is that this whole process has got me more passionate about the Bible and more into the Bible now that I, I don't believe that it's inerrant and that it's historically accurate it actually mm. has more meaning for me now than it did previously yeah and that's something that was really surprising to me because I was yeah like I said before I was always raised to believe that it's it's either perfect and accurate or it's mm. nothing it's just a book like any other book mm. Yeah, because now you can approach it with like a curiosity. Um, I think like what what yeah what did it for me as well with like uh, that changed my view of the Bible because I I mean I've never studied the Bible more in the last four years than I've done in probably the whole of my life. Yeah. So it kind of like um, finding out that uh, God was bigger than this book. And God was bigger than the church, and God was much more uh, mysterious and wonderful, and you know, all these things. It kind of drove me. It drove me. It drove my curiosity, like to well. First of all, I wanted. I still kind of had this, you know, this desire to prove everything from the Bible. So it was like that was like. One of the first stages of my deconstruction, I wanted like, no, 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 you've misunderstood. You've got, you know, when in this in this verse it means that instead of that, you know. So I was like, that was like the first stage of my deconstruction. I wanted like to prove people that that um, you know this Bible verse that they've always understood as such and such. Maybe one example could be like the Book of Romans. Like people uh, read the Book of Romans. Far too literally, I think, you know, because Paul is, is when he, he uses arguments, he argues almost against himself, you know, so he's like, he's arguing one point and he's arguing another point and he's like, almost like, you know, standing in front of a mirror (laughs) arguing and like people take far too literally um, his, his, you know, argument against himself, so that makes any sense Mm. but so i think you know i read romans in a i started reading romans in a different way uh where i took uh, i don't think you know i don't think scripture is most meant to be read like you take a scripture you say okay um this you know this scripture i read it means exactly what it says like Mm. Because um, then you know you can basically make the Bible believe you can make the Bible to mean anything you want. You can yeah. basically make a good argument for slavery. You can make uh, you know a good ar- argument for murder and stuff like that. Vengeance, yeah, yeah. And vengeance, and the, yeah, exactly that point that you know if you if you take the bolt, you know, if you take the Old Testament, um, how people understood God. Then it is most. It is uh, very much a vengeful God. I know there are other scriptures, you know, like in Isaiah and stuff like that, um, where you know, uh, and other books of the Old Testament where it talks about God as a, as a, 
a, a God of justice, you know, a God that wants uh, justice for everyone. And I think I believe that's very much the gospel, at the heart of the gospel. But you can easily, you know, when you read about Israelites um, slaughtering women and babies, then you start to think, okay, this is this is probably not supposed to be literal, <laughs> or this is maybe man's understanding of, you know, man's understanding of, of God in in a in a moment. So, yeah. So I started to understand the Bible as very much as partly also man's journey of trying to understand the divine or trying to understand who and what God is. Um, but how, how did you sort of um, think of that previously, where you saw that in the Old Testament that God told the Israelites to go and kill every man, woman and child in mm. so a particular city or a, in the land of Canaan? How did you previously... Um, how, like how was that a part of your view of God as still yeah. being a God of love? Yeah, I think I I think I had a lot of difficulty with it to be honest. Um, yeah, even like in my previous state where I was thinking that you know the Bible was um, like an iner- inerrant, um, inerrant you know the inerrant word of God and in, totally inspired every word inspired by God. Then I, I was I had a lot of difficulty with that to be honest, um, and almost didn't want to like confront it or didn't want to think okay. But I but I but I maybe I thought at the time well there's a lot of theologians and scholars that are a lot cleverer than me, you know, uh, and some of their arguments were plausible. Um, but then there was something in me that was saying, okay, even if this did happen uh, and that God told the Israelites to go and slaughter these people, there was something in me saying, that, okay, that, but that, okay, if God did that, then he would not, then it wouldn't be fair that he would damn these people to also, after killing them, that he would also damn them to a hell for eternity. Mm-hmm. So there was even like, even then there was like something in me that said, okay, Okay, even if God did tell them to do that, then um, there must be there must be something better for them <laughs> in the new world or paradise or whatever you want to call it, heaven. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of difficulty with it. How about you? Yeah, I kind of, I guess it was similar, but I, I kind of figured that God is, I still believe God was a God of love. And that there was maybe he had reasons for it, and so mm. so I could, if you think about something long enough, you can pretty much justify anything in mm. your own mind, right? And so for me, it was more along the lines of, well, okay, maybe it was because God knew if they didn't kill the the men, then their culture would come in and and corrupt the Israelites, and then God's big plan mm. for humanity would be sort of thrown off course by by this. So they had to kill the men, and then that would just leave thousands of widows right yeah and they wouldn't have a very good life in israel and so i i kind of just said well maybe all of these people that he told the israelites to kill would go to heaven mm. and so in that way it wasn't really killing them it was just sending them to be with god and mm. of course if they didn't kill the children then there'd be thousands of orphans and they'd give a horrible life on earth so it was kind of like an act of mercy to kill them all wow <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um which, I mean, if you have that theology, it can make some sense. 
but it's still mm. God telling somebody to go and murder someone. You know, if if you believe that as soon as somebody dies, they, God could take them, like they go yeah. to another place and go to heaven. Mm. Then suddenly death has no meaning. But so it didn't make a lot of sense. But that's how I saw it in the past. Yeah, I think like the aha moment for me was like when I suddenly realized that we weren't supposed to take this all literally. I think it was like um, I suddenly realized um, that you know that scripture uh, is mostly uh, humans trying to figure out who God is, mm. and that also like comes from you know there are also other like stories in history. If you go back uh, further in history, there are you know stories of the gods and. The gods are always angry, and you nor you have Nordic mythology as well, where you know you have to appease the gods and do right in front of the gods, and all they'll you know they'll come and destroy you, or they'll destroy your crops, or something will go wrong. And I think also like um, even you know going back further in history, even before the Israelites and um, further back in history, there, there's always been this kind of like understanding in human. Uh, human history of, of gods, you know, and so I think that um, that also like comes comes into also the Israelite or Hebrew understanding of God that that they also take some of their understanding of God from previous generations and um, trying to you know trying to appease appease God or the gods and. Um, I think that this is like, I mean, we can't like, we have to take it as is. We have to take the Bible as a doc, as an old document, as a document of people trying to work out who God is. Now that isn't, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a good thing either. It's just what it is. I think that's, um, it's important that we have this book. It's important that we have scripture, um, in the same way that you know other religions have their also, also their scriptures uh, to help them un- try and understand who God is as well, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think we just have to realize um, what it is and yeah. um, take it as part of the journey of understanding, you know, who God is. Because basically, I don't think any of us can fully understand who God is, and mm-hmm. even if you know, we understand 0.01% of what and who God is, then that's a pretty good start. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Is that a good spot to wrap up the first podcast? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, how do you like the wine? Yeah, it's, um, it's good. I've a drink. More than you, you've been talking a bit more than me. So, well, you know, it's because I've been on holiday in Switzerland, and uh, it's maybe a strange place to buy wine or to taste wine from. But uh, we went on this wine tour, and uh, this guy, this guy called Mario, he showed us around um, a vineyard, and I did some wine tasting. Actually, wine tasting for the very first time. So mm. we had a chart, and it like took ages, and we, had, we did different things of how you taste wine. I won't go into it now, but it was like it was fascinating. Yeah. So and uh, so I brought a bottle of wine home with me, and yeah, so that was interesting. Um, 
you know wine tasting for the first time as like as you know we you know i brew beer yeah um, and uh, we've tasted a few of my brews haven't we Steve? yeah they're getting better <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're always good but yeah. they're getting even better yeah well, that, it's fair enough you can say the first ones weren't so good that's totally fine i enjoyed them i just uh, yeah i enjoyed them too but i, I just chucked all kinds of different ingredients in in the beginning and uh, now i'm thinking like okay I, now i need to kind of like try and find out what tastes mm. what tastes i like what malt i like and what hops i like i'm sure that's a metaphor for something i think you're right actually so you know i think uh, like often like when we start something whatever it is a new hobby or a passion or whatever it is then we go all in and we just want to like try everything about it and then after a while we want to try and be a bit more like purist or trying to nuance it or something yeah. mm. i have this terrible habit of giving up on hobbies at that point mm. <laughs> i dive right in for the first you know few months or the first year and then it just kind of peters out and i want to start a new hobby instead so. yeah I what kind of what kind of hobbies have you have you done that with um a few years ago i made a 3d printer and i was like really into that and i really loved it yeah. and i never quite got it finished okay. to the point where it could do reliable prints and i just kind of got a bit distracted by other hobbies and yeah it's not because i stopped enjoying it it just yeah i have a short attention span maybe Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have to explain that Steve is a computer programmer, so he's uh, he's a bit of a nerd, and he's uh, probably a lot cleverer than me. That's just one example. It was also the same with mountain biking. I still do it on the other occasion, but when I first started, I was going at least once a week and bought this really expensive bike, and mm. yeah, and now I'm lucky to get out once every two months or so. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Steve, what do you think? Uh, what do you think people want to hear? Like when they're on the, we've been talking about, about deconstruction today. What do you think? Like people need to hear um, in the future. Like thinking about ideas for future podcasts and stuff like that. I think there's a million topics we can talk about. Yeah, but um, if it's specifically on deconstruction i guess the challenges that it's normal for it not to be easy or for it to be a struggle and, mm. and yeah but i think it's it's also maybe for you not so much about what people want to hear but what you want to share as well yeah yeah i was thinking about today i was thinking like my my desire maybe for this podcast maybe would be like to maybe help people understand like to normalize deconstruction mm. that it's not like um it's not like a disease it, it's not like something um you know it's not like some it's not like you wake up one day and you say right i wanna i wanna get in a lot of trouble with my church leadership <laughs> i want uh, you know i want to lose uh, bulk of my friends i want to sleep yeah, I want to. I want to be stressed, and I want to lose a lot of sleep over, you know, thinking about God and theology, and and you know, feeling shame about having to re <laughs> rethink my view view of God and things like that, and wake up in cold sweats and think, okay, um, yeah. So it wasn't like that, but it's it's um, 
when it was like that actually so I did it I did go through like a, a real like period of pain and I can still do at times as well mm. and loneliness and stuff like that so I think my desire is to yeah to try and normalize it and say that it is something that people will go through um, mm. because I don't think to be perfectly honest I don't think that of the version of Christianity that we were in for a period of time isn't sustainable in the long run and that if you are a uh, if you are a um, just a normal thinking person who will apply the same rules of critical thinking to your Christianity as to other parts of your life then at some point you will deconstruct mm. and so I want to like normalize this um, to you know I want to normalize this for people and make it um, legal for people, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. to do it. Um, of course, it's not it's not easy, and you you know you might lose a lot of your Christian friends. You might even get kicked out of your church, or you might you know feel so uncomfortable at church you have to find some other kind of fellowship. Um, but I think my dream my dream would be to see you know other fellowships springing up. Mm -hmm. where it, it's in places where it's okay to question where it's okay and um, this is one of the things that kind of um that i have real tr that i think had real trouble with uh after a while at church i started questioning why can't why can't we ask hard questions about god why mm -hmm. can't we why don't why you know why can't you know why can't we question this and that or why can't we uh, why can't someone from the street come in and question the virgin birth or why can't someone mm. question the trinity or why can't someone question the miracles in the bible or some you know what they'll get struck by lightning Mark. yeah well <laughs> that's it yeah and that's probably what i used to think but but um you know why can't people come in and say you know why why aren't there more um why aren't there more black people in church or why aren't there more uh, lgbtq people here or you know uh, why aren't there more disabled people at church? Mm -hmm. These kind of questions, or you know, why, you know, why does everyone have to have the same theology, or why mm -hmm. do you have like a, a vision statement about this, and why a belief statement of belief statement, yeah, and why do people have to sign wow. NDAs and things like that? So a lot of these questions, yeah, but um, that could be for another subject. Yeah, and the long the long term effects of that those kind of communities could be really amazing i think when you have children that are raised in christian families that aren't mm. raised with one very specific like i mean essentially brainwashed into believing yeah. one very specific thing yeah there's so so such a large part of the church is to get them while they're young and to yeah. shape their beliefs according to what the church wants them to believe rather than shaping them to discover god for themselves and mm. to discover the bible and jesus's message for themselves yeah in, yeah I think my vision is for a day when that people don't need to deconstruct anymore because they had a healthy outlook on scripture and Christianity yeah. from when they were young. Yeah, because they didn't have something they needed to deconstruct from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Not the, not being taught this rigid view of the Bible is inerrant and you know. Mm. I think one one thing I struggle with is wondering what kind of theology and mentality I would have now if I wasn't sort of so ingrained into that from a very young age and yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I I actually talked to someone, um, a young person recently, who said that um, they kind of wish that they hadn't uh, had uh, or been indoctrinated uh, or been taught about Christianity in this rigid way as a young person. Uh, and they kind of like their the wish was to be like they if they were going to come into Christianity they wanted to come into it like purely if you understand what I yeah. mean like from from a from a point of actually seeing it seeing the benefits of it if you know what I mean rather yeah. than just being told this is how God is you know um, yeah so it kind of it was an interesting experience for me. Yes, and I, I think I feel largely the same way. I'm, I'm questioning whether I would have been better off without all of my Sunday school from mm. essentially from when I was born. Yeah. In, and, you know, I, I don't have kids. Your kids are adults already, but I was, mm. I'm was. i curious if, if I were to have kids now, would I even want them to be in Sunday school? Yeah. And it's not even, not just the indoctrination and the very rigid sort of theology that they're taught, but also mm. the, the children's versions of Bible stories mm make them so dry and so there's there's so little in them that now when I'm an adult I struggle to get the full meaning out of them because I, yeah. I keep coming back to this the ch- the children's version of oh look at this person be good like them or do what they did or don't do what this person did when uh, you know every part of the bible has so much more in it than that yeah i i heard about this children's version of the bible that had like had a picture of David and a lot of chopped up foreskins. <laughs> what? No, that wasn't really. No, you don't show that to kids. <laughs> well, it's, it's okay. Um, yeah, for, so, for me, it's more the opposite. It's that you know, the, a lot of the stories, especially in the Old Testament, they're not kids' stories. Mm, so when you make exactly. them, when you make them a kids' a kids' version of that, you lose pretty much everything in there. Especially stories like Jonah. Yeah, um, you know, we're taught there's so much focus on Jonah being swallowed by a whale and the mm. miracle of that happening that we completely miss the main. We miss the point. Of the point, story. yeah. And often, <laughs> often the kids' stories stop before even the whole the entire last chapter of Jonah. They skip yeah. over the whole part where Jonah is yeah. angry with God for saving someone, and rather than being a character we're supposed to see and laugh at, and then realize, oh, actually, I'm like that too. Yeah, we're just taught that you know we have to obey God, and mm. like it's such a dry and such a simple message out of a really complex and interesting book yeah well you know like um pete ends from the bible from normal people he says basically you know you should not not teach the bible to kids or not most of it and yeah. if you're going to do it you should maybe just stick to like the sermon on the mount yeah um or maybe the gospel part of the gospels about you know teaching of jesus first until they're of an age mm. where they can maybe more understand um things and stuff and i think he's actually he's in the process or he has produced some kind of you know literature for for kids mm. but yeah that that is um the way we teach our kids is a bit unfortunate and yeah i also had to have a hard look at myself as well of how you know i taught the bible to my kids um so it's certainly not you know, not uh, one of the worst ways of doing it, according to some of the stories I've heard from other people. But, but still, you know, I wish I'd kind of like, um, um, you know, 
cultivated more attitude of help and questioning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's important. Like, you know, children should be allowed to question stuff. And I don't think we should say to them, "This is how God is." You know, uh, because you know, if they might have a question, "Well, if God is like this, why does this happen?" And I think it's healthy. And I think you have to like, yeah, um, you have to, you have to, you know, accept what children say and not say no. It says in the Bible. You, know, you have to. Like, oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, you might you might have a point there. You know. So I think that um, mm. you know, I think there's a lot more of the divine in children than <laughs> a lot of adults. Um, you know, I think they understand. Maybe they understand God better than us sometimes, or most of the time, maybe mm. before they're spoiled. Before the weight of the world crushes their curiosity, <laughs> or the weight of religion crushes their curiosity. Yeah. But uh, I think maybe we should stop here. Yep. And then we can continue another time. And now we've today we've talked a little bit about deconstructing the Bible, uh, maybe a view of God and things like that. So we'll have to see what what it will lead on to next time. But um, I'm kind of I'm hoping that this has been useful for for you um, listening to this. And um, I think it's good to have like a podcast that originates in Europe because mm. a lot of the you know most of the deconstruction podcasts they're from America, and I think that's great and wonderful. And it's been a big help for me, but I think also it's um, it's really needed in, in yeah. Europe, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously it's a really different situation we have here, but I don't think it's any less needed than it is in the US. No, exactly. Exactly. You know, we may not have the same political uh, struggle that they do in the States, you know, where Christianity is very bound to one party. Um, but we do have uh, a lot of Christianity that has kind of been inherited, inherited from the States, I think. Oh, yeah, a lot of very organized going back to the 70s or whatever yeah exactly isn't necessarily healthy or no exactly um toxic theology and yeah, stuff like that which exactly. is something we can talk about another day but um anyway hope you've enjoyed this and yes. uh, this is uh, this is the stealth monk <laughs> signing off for today goodbye bye